Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with the co-founder of Crema, George Brooks. What started as a tiny operation with lofty goals and a second bedroom of a house quickly expanded to one of the biggest success stories we feature on this podcast. George and his co-founder, Dan Linhart, started Crema in 2009. A digital product agency, Crema sees the intersection between a robust design philosophy, an appreciation for culture and innovation, and an understanding of the importance of user interface in a company's business strategy. Now employing more than 40 workers and rising quickly on the Inc. 5000, Crema is quickly becoming the first call for everything from small business to global operations, seeking a reliable but unforgettable scalable overhaul of their digital strategy. Crema is growing like crazy. So George, my friend, let's get into it. Thank you for being here today. Such a pleasure. Thanks you, thank you for having me. Yes, sir. Well, tell me, how did we get here today? What were the series of events that led you to, to start this company? You know, I was talking about the fact that some people, some people um, see this like, you know, this vision in the night and kind of say, that's what I've got to do. I've got to go after that. There's some big opportunity. And some people are like shoved off a cliff and have to figure out how to either build a parachute. If they're lucky, they build a plane on the way down. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm definitely in the latter. So um, I had all intentions of um, being surrounded by creative people. That was my desire. I went to school for graphic design. I worked for a tiny little mission-driven organization design firm here in Kansas City, and my oldest daughter was born. This is 14 years ago. And a long story very short, she was in the hospital for the first seven months of her life. Whoa. And so I, uh, I was living out of the hospital room. My wife worked at the hospital where she was uh, in the NICU and then the, the PICU. She literally outgrew the neonatal ICU. And, um, my office that I worked for, the company I worked for was like 45 minutes away from the hospital. And so it just, I could never actually be at work or I could never be with my daughter. And those were the options. It was, it was always one or the other. And, uh, this is, you know, during 2007, 2008, the economy is looking real good during that time or, Uh or not, or not so much. And, um, I made the wise decision that any, any brand new father should do. And I I quit my job to be closer to her. Yeah, and so um, I had an opportunity. Uh, got introduced to an entrepreneur who's building a, a social media platform. And back then, everybody was building a social media platform for something, and he was building a social media pl- platform. And he allowed me to be the user experience designer and the pro- project manager for that. And I spent a year of just soaking myself in and learning as much as I could, working both from the hospital room and then from a second bedroom that was really, uh, you know, 15 minutes away rather than 45 minutes away. Uh, being as close as I could um, to to my daughter while she was, you know, really, uh, really high risk. Uh, there, there was, there was some. The reason I really, quite transparently, the reason I quit my job was because they kept calling me saying, "You need to get to the hospital right now." Oh Lord! Like, you, this may be your last moment. Now, fast forward. She's 14 years old. If you didn't see the scars, you wouldn't know the difference. She's a total miracle. I have three little beautiful girls now, and. Wow. Um, and that's the origin story. That's how it got started was, you know, like I said, being pushed off a cliff going, yeah, okay. A new dad, crazy situation. Um, I've got these skills for working with people and, and designing things. Let's see what we can do with it. And um, Kansas City was going through kind of a, 
a lot of organ, a lot of cities were doing this, but we're going through a, a revitalization of the urban core and technology was coming into play, right? These, we were just seeing companies like Airbnb and Facebook and Google were just scaling like crazy and technology was becoming relevant. And so um, I became for Kansas City kind of the UX guy, the user experience guy, the user interface guy for a lot of the developers and technologists that were trying to build things, but really could never make anything usable. Yeah. Um, so just built a network up here in Kansas City and um, about a year and a half into that, I was getting ready to fire, hire my first employee, another designer, and I'm uh, a college dropout, graphic design guy. Yeah, and uh, I have no business running a business. <laughs> and um, uh, I realized as I was getting ready to hire somebody, I was like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what legal I need to be doing. I'm not even sure I paid my taxes right last year. You know all that. Sure. And so I, I went to my best friend at the time, Dan, and said, Hey, you know, you're finishing up your MBA. You got all this knowledge that was just shoved into your brain by the university and you're not going to use it at your corporate job. We always talked about starting a business and I think I accidentally did it. So let's, let's do this. And so we formed up as, as co-founders, um, gosh, coming up on 13 years ago and, uh, I've been off to the races since. Man, uh, one, so thankful to hear the happy ending of your yeah, daughter. I always have happy, to fast forward now. that because it's, it's, it's a heavy, a heavy situation, but absolutely so thankful for the other side of it. Absolutely. And it leads me to ask you this question. You know, I was uh, about a week or so ago, I was speaking to a group of entrepreneurs and they asked, Hey man, basically just to distill, if you could talk to us about one thing, what would you talk about? Mm. And I call it the prerequisite for success. The, the mm. thing I've seen be true across, across industry, across business model, the thing that everybody has in common that seems to be successful is a built resilience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, 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 it's like the prerequisite, like you're inevitably going to have to go through really tough and challenging times yep. and not quit and not give up and find, and also make smart decisions in those times you were experiencing got to be one of the toughest. I mean, I have three kids and you know, that new father mm. with the daughter in danger and also trying to pivot in a career and still make ends meet and learn a new industry. I'm just curious how you held on? How did you uh, keep your mind straight, your heart straight, and able to to handle the weight of that situation? That's a great question. I the the short and long of it is um, ignorance is bliss. Mm. And you know what? I was 23 years old or 24 years old. Mm. Uh, I was a baby, right? I was such a young guy, and this is our first kid. I'm actually, uh, and I wish this on no one. But I'm I'm thankful it was our first kiddo because we we didn't know any different. And your first kid already is crazy, like so right? Crazy. That's life changing. And um, I I'm thankful that I was we were able to kind of have the 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 heart and the spirit of of adaptability and flexibility to say, this is what we're at. This is what we're dealing with. Not to say that it wasn't hard. Like right, the best things in life are challenging. Yeah. And um, it was an extremely challenging time to the point where you know. The worst of that moment was uh, talking to the the hospice team mm. and literally planning for like, hey, could she pass at home? Kind of conversations, and and getting to that point, you you then go, I'm I am helpless here. Yeah, like this is outside of my control. Now I'll you know out of full transparency, I have a worldview of a faith that really really brought me through that. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was a big part of it. Um, a big part of just kind of trusting a guy to say like, I, I can't save her, yeah. which as a, as a father is the worst feeling in the world. 
Yeah. Um, but it actually taught me a lot. It taught me this ability to say like a lot of this stuff that we do isn't really in our control. Sure. Right. And so as, as founders, as leaders, as dads, as human beings, we love to be in control. Yeah. And we make most of our decisions out of fear of the loss of that control. And so, um, really control is an illusion. Yeah. That's That's the hardest part. It's an illusion. I mean, look at COVID, right? I mean, like we all thought we had control of everybody being in the office, everybody, you know, being able to see everybody, every shoulders and kind of, you know, always feeling the culture right around the the bend. And then it was torn out from underneath us. No control. Yeah. Yeah. Now what's incredible is the organizations that were resilient, like you said, that that language of resilience, those that were able to say, I'm going to adapt and evolve quickly, basically just accelerated their um, uh, evolution five years Yes. in in three months. Exactly. Right. And so I think that that's kind of what happened to me. It was like, I I had an ideas of starting businesses when I was in college. And then an event happened that pushed me off the cliff that said, nah, this is the time you're going to do this. Let's do this. Yeah. And so I think it, some, it's, it's your, your ability to adapt, your ability to, to understand um, and how to be flexible in what happens and what comes. And don't, don't get me wrong. There's hard times all the way through that. So times growing a company, but um, that resilience, I think is less about like being stronger. You know, think about a physical body, like there's, yep. there's, there's both the physical strength and then being flexible. Yes. And I think it was more about the flexibility and the adaptability and that my strength and resilience and endurance came through the ability to say like, you know, my muscles can go a little further. Yeah. And that's such a, I mean, that's the thing, man. Like, so I have a, I have a faith background as well. And in my work, I don't feel like it's my place to tell you yeah. what your worldview should be, but I do yep. know the question you're going to have to answer. I do know that you are going to constantly rub up against the uncontrollable. What yeah. really is the future of this business? We can have a vision and a plan all day long, but like you said, with COVID, and even just if you think logically about that other people are making decisions in the process to buy or not to buy, to spend yeah. money on or not spend money on it, you were at the mercy of a lot of things outside of your control. That's right. So you have to answer that question somehow, right? Yeah. And depending on how you answer is going to be how resilient you are. It's going to be how flexible you are or things are going to break you. You know, in COVID, we called it forced innovation. Mm-hmm. So true. We likely would have innovated, like you said, over three years but you would have done it in a luxury. You would have done it in the, like, when I have time, I thought about this. COVID mm-hmm. was like, it's forced innovation. You yeah. got to, you got to find a way through this or your business has gone away. Right. Yeah. Adapt or die. Right. Exactly. And yeah. that was the gift. If you could look at it that way, you know, it was mm-hmm. like, this is the gift is this is going to force us to innovate in some areas that maybe we would have dragged our feet in. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I look back at that time with you and, and your, your child. And it's like, man, that is a moment that like everything could have gotten worse. Mm-hmm or things found a way to get better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's why I'm so curious. It's like, that's such a, that's such a highlighted, like accentuated point of stress yep. and uncontrollable feeling yet. Marriage sounds like it stayed together. Thank God. You, yeah. You yeah. stayed together. Yeah. The business, your business started to grow in that time. And, and that's why I'm just really curious around that. You also mentioned during that season, maybe that year and next two years, you were really starting to build kind of a, a presence, a network, uh, in that Kansas city area. And I'm just curious what you learned in that process of how to do that. Well, right. There's the icky sticky, like you're using everybody. Right. But then there's the, like, there's the man, I just genuinely added whatever it is, added value or made new friends or whatever. Like, can you talk to that? Cause I've seen that be critical in the, in the formation of a business. 
Yeah, I mean, we're, we're a service-based company. If we come down to it, like service organizations in, in any organization for that matter uh, should be saying, which has been my mantra since the very beginning, we're in the business of people. We mm. just happen to do whatever it is that we do. Yeah. For me, I'm in the business of people. We just happen to design and build innovative technology solutions. So what does that mean? It means that um, if you're, your reputation is everything as, a, as an organization, it can, either, it can either take you to incredible heights or it can literally destroy you. Mm-hmm. And even more so heightened in 2021, if we want to be honest. Like, yeah. right? I mean, this, we're in an environment where um, you are around the corner of um, your reputation being something that is incredibly potentially destructive or being something where you're an intentional company that, um, that now outshines these other organizations that are struggling to build relations with, relationships with human beings. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I think that early on, partly it's my personality, right? I love people. I love that, that social, I'm, a, um, I'm an Enneagram seven. I'm a, an extrovert, all these things, right? Yeah. I love, I love this, um, this, I'm always feeling that I'm missing out on an opportunity to be like hanging out with someone. And so I think that early on, it was building relationships. I was charging next to nothing for my services. So, um, you know, partly because I didn't know any better, but learning what people needed, what was actually my unique value proposition, asking lots of questions and exploring and being curious and spending time with people that were not like me. That's the other thing was, is it was really easy to be drawn to other creatives well, all the other creatives were trying to find work or trying to start their own freelance business or trying to do this other thing. Yeah. Well, I didn't need to be hanging out with them. I needed to be hanging out with someone who's starting, trying to start a business or someone who uh, had a business that was struggling yeah. or with a, a technologist or a developer that was like, ah, I built this thing, but nobody likes it. Okay. Now those are people that are different than me, but that I can actually bring value to that conversation. And I, I just got good at navigating through conversations. I had no business being there because I didn't, I didn't have context. I didn't have insight yet, but by being empathetic and curious and humble and saying, yeah, but, but yet confident enough to say, yeah, dude, give me the challenge. Let's do this. Yeah. Um, and that just built, that built up a, a reputation. Now the challenge with that was just to kind of take one step further. The challenge was, is then in a service company, what I find with most service companies is that the founders have a really, really hard time scaling the organizations. Yes. Because they sold themselves in the early days. And as they grow, as they build out a team, they're still technically selling themselves. They've just got some hands to help to do some of the lifting. Yeah. Well, at a certain point, I realized the biggest bottleneck to Crema's growth was Dan and I. We could not be the person, people making the decisions about everything that was getting done. We could not service all the clients and all the contracts. And like I said, early on, it was my personality that what people were buying. It was my curiosity that people were buying. It was my ability to move pixels around a screen that people were buying. I had to start to build it, bring people in to replace myself. If Crema was ever going to get beyond, gosh, we were stuck at like maybe less than 10 people for a long time. Yeah. It's like, how do we, how do we break through this? How do we double in size? How do you know? And now as we're getting closer to, you know, we're on our way to 60 people, you know, now there's a bunch of clients that we work, do work with at Crema. I've never met them. Wow. I don't, I don't personally know them. Now 
I, I check in with the team and I know the context and I know the health of it. And maybe Dan's met them or, you know, but that, that was an intentional flip where we said, you're no longer hiring George and Dan who happen to own a company called Crema. Right. You're hiring Crema that happened to be run by these guys named George and Dan. Yes. And that was, that was a very intentional pivot that led me from that kind of interpersonal relationship networking thing. Yes. You're hiring me to know we're actually growing an entity. We're growing a company. We're growing a brand. Now, I really want to talk about that. And selfishly, we can talk offline for why that's personal to me right now. Yeah, I get it. But I just want to know, how did you solve that bottleneck? Like that, mm. that makes so much sense. It, it, one of the problems though is, or one of the things, the challenges is repli- either replicating yourself or figuring out how to make the product not as dependent on you or your specific skill set or personality. The other, and I wonder if this is true for you, is you are saving money in the short term Mm-hmm. right? By mm-hmm. you being the one doing it. No question. And so there feels like this, like, which one do I, do I hire other people or outsource it yet? Now we're losing some of the margin that we had to scale. Does that make sense? Like, I'm just curious totally. how you solve but some I would of those argue, issues. I would argue that maybe you're not saving as much money as you think, because you're probably working a lot more hours. hundred <laughs> percent. So, so if you look at your personal hourly rate, it, it, it isn't actually what you're charging. Cause right. You're, you're, you could divide that by here's what I'm actually charging for. And here's what I'm actually working. And if I really worked out the math, it's like 60% less than you know, I'm exaggerating, but you know, it's yeah, a, yeah, significantly yeah. larger, uh, less, less than what your, maybe your hourly rate is. So a couple things, one is, um, is culture, right? This is, goes back to how do you build a place that starts to reflect the, <laughs> the motivating factors of what really created the entity of Cremo, which was a high level of curiosity, uh, um, what we call humble confidence, which is this, this balance between humility and confidence. Too much confidence and you become cocky, right? And nobody wants to work with an arrogant person, Yeah. but too much humility and you become timid and nobody wants to work with a timid person. So finding that, that balance between humble confidence, curiosity, and and resilience, as you said, those are kind of four, um, uh, what we call postures here, not, not values. We have a whole another set of values, trust and constant, constant improvement and uh, generosity, et cetera. But when it comes to like, what is our postures? How are we coming into this space? Interesting. As I was looking for people that had similar postures, as we started to hire people with, um, I knew I could find skill, right? People can move pixels. People can write code. But the question was, is will you find someone who has a, a similar posture? Now, this doesn't mean they have to look the same as me, that they have to have the same worldview as me, that they, et cetera, but they need to have that ability to be humbly confident, to be extremely curious and to be resilient because work is hard, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and that took time. Um, one, we hire slowly. I mean, I could be a much larger organization after 12 years, but we hired slowly because we wanted to handpick those people. And sometimes we got it wrong. And it was like, either they, they figured it out or we figured it out. And then we, we decided like, Hey, this is not best for you, or this is not best for us. And it was almost always based off of that posture, not off of the skill. Huh. And so, um, so we were really saying it's like first the who, then the what. So we're always looking for who's that person, who's that person's going to reflect what I brought to the table which was just this, like, say that to me again. I want to, I want to get that. Yeah. I want to, I want to get the context of what you're talking about, because if I'm going to bring you value, oh man, I want to know as much as you know about your business. Right. Yeah. And, and finding people that were like that. So we hired slowly. I will say it did not go perfectly. We, so I first replaced myself from a designing perspective. 
Um, so as a designer, strategist, and owner, uh, or a salesperson, those were kind of th my three big roles. So as a designer, I could find other designers. And honestly, we, we hired young and we kind of trained people that were, again, ingress as bliss. We could shape them into what we wanted them to be. And that worked really well. So we, we started having designers that took over. For the most part, I didn't have to design much anymore. I wouldn't, I'd jump back in to kind of maybe give creative direction, but I wasn't designing much anymore. So I shifted to strategy. So I was still the person that was kind of leading the, the workshops and asking the big questions and checking in on the projects, et cetera. And then I was managing most of that. Yeah. So we, st we started hiring strategists. Right. So this was other people that had done similar work in other agencies, or maybe someone who just had that really high level of curiosity, never been in our industry, but like, they just got it. Right. And so you, or we started training our designers to have a more of a strategic mind. This, I mean, this took years. And then the third piece was, was sales, right? I'm selling myself. I'm the person yes. that builds that trust real fast. And I brought in a guy that um, was incredible. Nate is, he's still with me, been with me for five or six years now. He, he was actually, um, worked for a large entrepreneurial, um, research organization here in, in Kansas city. He had started his own kind of startup inside that organization. And he just had that passion for relationships and people and community and networking and, um, potential of business growth, et cetera. And I was like, ah, forget the whole sales tactics. Yeah, that's what I need. Mm. And it took about six months. If I'm honest, his onboarding took six months for him to get, well, how does software even work? Like yeah. what, what is an API? What is JavaScript? What is, what is a, a design system, et cetera. And so it took about six months of kind of replacing myself for that. So we were working side by side, but honestly, like I said, now it's to the point where I'm just brought in as a, this sounds weird. I, I kind of feel weird even saying I'm brought in a little bit as a face, right? Yes. Yes. Where it's like, cool. I want you to meet our owner. Um, he's, you know, he's got a design and strategy background. If you ever have any questions, let me know. And so I'll be brought in uh, as a part of that, just kind of introduction process. But for the most part, it's all about, um, you know, him taking that, those reins. One, one kind of horror story to talk about real quick. Yeah, please. We had put a strategist on a new client and the strategist was fairly new and this is, you know, hired slowly, but pick this person. And, um, the client actually I had a relationship with the client. I knew this client already, but the strategist was put on the project and, um, the client called me and said, Hey, I know your whole thing about this humble confidence, but, um, your guy does, he, he's well, he's cocky and he's wrong. <laughs> and here's the deal. If you're going to be cocky, you better be right. Yeah. yeah that's right. And if you're going to be wrong, you need to be humble about it. Right. And so, um, he said, you, this isn't going to work. Well, it was a big contract. And so I had to step back in and for two years, two to three years after that, that guy sent us millions of dollars worth of work. Wow. But every, every time he did, he go work with Krima, but make sure you, you work with George. And I was like, so finally it took me three years to get out of like one convincing him to stop saying that. And then two, to actually train up a team that, um, that truly reflected that humble confidence. So it, wow. it just took time. It took, a, it took a long time. Now, I truly, like January of this year, I haven't been working with clients for a couple of years now, but January of this year, I have um, basically no one reporting to me. So we have leadership team in place that's, that's effectively running the studio. Um, and I'm really focused on what's next for Crema and, and wow. trying to give myself the freedom and, and the headspace to do that. Wow. Okay. We're definitely going to talk about this. I know there's offline. a lot. I just, I, I rambled there. No, no, this is, that's really freaking good. My friend, I'm curious. I want to back up just a second. I love, uh, I love the Enneagram 
Yeah, yeah. I'm a I'm a nine on the Enneagram. All right, all right. My wife is a nine with a wing one. So okay, I get I get I'm it. a nine with a wing eight. So I'm a weird I'm a weird nine to other nines. I've got this conflicting energy. <laughs> You're challenging people at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, it's very strange. So like an, another nine will see me on stage being assertive and or you know I'm in a coaching relationship and they're like, are, are you sure you're nine? I'm like, yeah, I just got a different energy combating inside of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as a seven, some of my favorite people on the planet are sevens. I'm curious what that's been like. What self-awareness has that brought you about you in particular that has shaped maybe your kind of leadership style and even knowing what kind of maybe pits to watch out for? Yeah. Uh, For me, it's I'm very self-aware. I am an external processor and I have to process with another person. Mm. And so uh, my team knows it. Um, I, a couple things that I've had to learn to do over time though, is I didn't realize the weight that my words had, um, as a seven, I'm externally processing everything, whether it's actually what I think yet, or, or what, what I, my point of view is yet, right. Or just how I'm processing, getting to the point of view. And what I found was I had some teams that I was working with both here at Crema and sometimes with clients where more so internal, where the team would go, George, we can't keep it up with all your ideas. We're on an we emotional can't. roller coaster as you're yeah. talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've already got a lot on our plates and this is too much. And you just asked us to do another thing. And I was like, I didn't ask you to do that. Like, yeah, you did. You said this, this, and this. And I said, no, no, oh, crap. Yeah. You, were, you heard my processing as uh, directing. And so what I've had to learn to do was I have to qualify my language a bit more now. So I have to be, I have to literally say, hey guys, processing out loud here. And then I can, I can ramble for a bit. I can yep. get it out. Um, if I don't do that, um, then the team's get, been given permission to go. So what do you want us to do now? Part of that is I'm, I'm, I'm learning also to, to empower my team to, to not ask that question. Mm. Because then again, that gets back to me being the bottleneck and instead empowering them to say, you've heard where I'm at. You've seen me processing through it. I've kind of just given you lots of context and lots of information. Get creative. What can we do with all that? Yeah. Um, and, and empowering them to make those decisions on their own. But yeah, the Instagram said, I, it's, it's for me, I have to be in the, I have to be in relationship. Yeah. Did you find that there were spaces that were more appropriate for you to be completely uninhibited to share and yeah. it doesn't matter. You don't even have to choose your words. You don't have to qualify versus in a certain space where you're more mindful, like with the team and saying, Hey yeah. guys, I'm just brainstorming. Let me qualify this. This is not a promise. This is not a plan. Yep. Uh, did you find, did you find that being necessary? Yeah, for sure. And in my business, the, the, uh, I love working with Dan and Dan and I have, I want to write a book about partnerships because I, I think we just have a really incredible partnership. He's, he's giving me that space where he'll almost let me like empty the tank on him. Like, yeah. let's let me process this stuff with you. Um, whereas maybe it's not as safe to go talk to my growth team or my, my marketing team and, and, and like process that all with them. Yeah. Not to say that I won't process things with them, but I, just knowing how to gauge that. And then as we put a leadership team in place, something that I'm practicing and kind of training myself on is I'm going to process out loud, but I'm going to do it through asking more, better questions. And instead of just telling you what I'm thinking, I'm going to ask you questions that will get to this thought that's bubbling in my head. Yeah. Yeah. And what that then does is unlocks the team to start being having that curiosity of the same processing that I have. Uh, yes. that's been really fun with our leadership with our, our vice president team. So that's been, uh, so you're, a good kind of bringing, you're, getting, you're bringing them into the process of thinking around the things that you are brainstorming about versus yeah. just 
mentally, you know, vomiting on them. Right. Yeah. And, and the reality is, is when you mentally vomit on people, uh, the window for attention span, even with someone who has a really great attention span is like 10 seconds. Right. Yeah. And at a certain point they're like, George is he's on, he's on a soapbox or he's on his, he's preaching again. Yeah. And, and, and they check out not, and I can't blame them. Yeah. Right. I mean, like I've got something that's just so clear in my head and instead of inviting them into that, that exploration, I'm just trying to like impose it on them. Well, they've yeah. got all their own context and things that they're dealing with. And so, um, figuring out how to go, okay, this is going to take some time, but I'm going to, I'm going to step back and be quiet during this particular session. I'm going to ask a question that maybe gets at like, eh, if he thought of it, th- like, let me say back to you what I just heard. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Active um, listening. Yeah. Active listening. So things like that. Um, it's still a practice, man. It's something oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm always working on for sure. Man, that's, uh, we found that, it, we found that as being critical even for my marriage. Oh, so yeah. I'm an internal processor. My wife is an external processor. Uh-huh. We also got married at like 24, 25 years old. So you're also younger in the emotional maturity stage. Mm. And we didn't have language for it at first. I just mm-hmm. knew that our communication style wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And when we finally uncovered that, we had a language to say, oh, here's the difference. You think... I don't care because yeah. I'm not contributing to the conversation as much when the reality is I'm my, my wheels are spinning and I'm waiting to talk on the back end of processing where if I say something, it's more of a conclusion. It's like, I, I stand by this, Yeah, but it doesn't mean I don't care just because you're doing all the talking. And then for her, I didn't realize that everything she was saying wasn't her final thought. So I'm going on an emotional roller coaster, Like, Am I the worst husband in the world? Are uh-huh. we done? Like, uh-huh. am I am I failing you in these ways? When really she's just at the beginning of processing that usually for me would happen all internally. And so we had to learn to calibrate a little bit. And I would yeah. say like, for me, I, 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 my request to her was, will you take one lap internally around mm-hmm. what you're saying before you bring it external? I'm not asking you to do the whole thing internally, but take, just, just take one lap. Like devil's advocate yourself for one lap around the conversation before you bring me into it. And then for me, she was saying, share a little sooner than you feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, show, show some emotional vulnerability. And, we both and, have to seek a discomfort there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So she's having to show some discomfort to like, hold on, let me think about this myself before I regurgitate it on you. And then I'm having to say, I'm gonna have to share before I feel ready mm-hmm. and basically trust you to, to I don't know, be, uh, it feels vulnerable to me. Like, oh, 100%. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and my wife and I are exact opposite of you and your wife. Uh, okay. And we, we even, she gives me this gift and, and, and kind of like you said, how can we give and take in this? Um, we do this thing where at the end of every day, she knows that I'm just coming off of like lots of thinking all day. Cause I mean, we're, we're in the, uh, you know, a knowledge economy, right? So yeah. we're all, you just using our brains, trying to process through the best way to do creative thinking all the time. Well, to come off of that and then to have a different way of thinking with your family at the end of the day, she'll, we, whether it's before dinner or after dinner, we, um, we have a, a trail that's near our house and we just, we just take a lap, just mm. walk. And there's a whole bunch of things that I have a vision about, or I have, I have a um, perspective on like the value of taking a walk, the value of walking with someone Mm. alongside someone. I think that's what we do in work. I think that's what we do in faith. I think it's what we do. I mean, on a bunch of different areas is having that, taking that walk. And she lets me process. She just lets me kind of go get it out. This walks for you. It's for me too. She loves being outside. So let's get this out. And then I know my time with her is spent 
later on going, I'm just going to sit with you. Mm. Right. And I don't, I'm not going to be processing. I just need to sit with you and be with you. What's the most helpful thing and posture she takes in that conversation for you as an external processor? That's a great, that's a great question. She, I mean, she's an active listener, so she'll, she'll, she will ask me questions. She'll like, so, you know, what, what that, how that make you feel? Yeah. Where, where, uh, where's that going? Um, is that, isn't that what you guys just dealt with? So she'll, she'll kind of go like, you've been through this before, George, mm. like, you know, it's okay. Mm. It'll be all right. Um, and so I think she's just, she's an active listener. Um, what would frustrate she, you? What would frustrate you in that conversation? Oh, that's a great one. Um, I, I'm asking because my wife's an external processor. So I'm learning like, <laughs> when she's, yeah, yeah. When she's processing like that, like what's helpful, what's not helpful. That, um, Hmm. I think that probably what would frustrate me is um, if, because I know she's thinking about a lot of things too. She, she, she's a working mom. Um, she's, she is processing in her own right. Yeah. And so there's sometimes when I, I will be like, did you hear anything I just said? And so I think it's, it's when, when I can tell she's checked out and, and, and then it's, it has to have the grace on me to go, okay you got a lot going on. I just dumped on you. Yeah. What, what, you know, how can I, how can I now give this space? Well, again, it tends to happen later. How can right. I give you space so that when you're ready to process your day with me, it's in a different capacity. But if I think she's, um, you know, I just, I value that, that collaboration. And so if I think that she's checked out thinking about something else completely, because I know she probably is, mm. um, um, that, that has caught me a couple of times. I'm like, oh, I don't think you heard like how much I just tried to give you. Yeah. And, um, but for the most part, I think that we've, you know, we've been married for 17 years now. And so we've, we have figured out a little bit about how to navigate that. And it's not perfect. You know, that's, that's, that's why it's good. Cause it's yeah. hard. Yeah. 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 We're 10 years in and I feel like we're, we're much better at communicating earlier on, but I'll still piss her off, you know? And that's why I'm like, I, I thought I learned how to do this right when you're processing with me, but there's moments she's like, I didn't want you to fix that. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Wanted, That's I true. wanted you just to listen. I was like, Oh, yep. and that could just be me as a male or it could be me as a coach that I'm yep. used. To, I, when someone tells me something, I feel I have this to be responsibility. Doing that to yeah, for sure. I feel this responsibility. Like, I think you're inviting me to fix this, yep. but I, I don't know if that's actually what you're inviting me to do, yep. you know? Yeah. Uh, and then I've found vice versa as an uh, communicating to an external processor. I want her, like you said, to actually just sit there mm -hmm. and, and like just kind of hold that space when she jumps in real fast, like it makes me shut down. Yep. You yep. know, especially if it's like emotional, if, mm -hmm. if, if it's like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm so sorry. Or oh, whoa, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I actually don't want all that emotion right now. You yeah. know what I mean? I know. Yeah, and so that's so interesting true. to try to commute to communicate to her, like how, how best you could hold that space with me. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think that's, that is any relationship. And I think that I don't want to get too philosophical and kind of like society, but I think that we have lost that ability at a large, because of an individualistic um, society, a Western individualistic society, we've lost that ability to, to value uh, respecting each other and how we communicate, how we operate, yes, what matters to us. And yet still in that respect, being able to be in proximity to, to someone yeah. else who's different than you. Yeah, man. I mean, I was telling a guy on my team that was having a hard time with another person on the team. Like, 
you you're not taking responsibility for your communication. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's, and I would be telling the other person the same thing, but I'm talking to you. Like yep. you're not taking into account that one thing is said, but two things may be heard depending mm-hmm. on who is listening. And like, you've got to calibrate yourself to that person's personality. Yeah. It's right? empathy. Right. I mean, like, yeah, um, I think it's, it's talked about a lot. Everybody says they have a lot of empathy, but then actually practicing it um, is a, is a whole different challenge. And I'm not perfect at that either, but I think that it's something that, that if you can build a culture that actually, what do we talk about? Like that can disagree or see the world differently, but still respect each other. I could change the world with that. Yeah. So good. I want to go back into when you were talking about, I've never heard this before that you guys both have a set of postures and a set of values. Mm. Where did that come from? Where did even seeing both of those being necessary, where, where did that originate from? So uh, three or four years into Crema, we did the stereotypical business thing and we, we didn't start out with it. Honestly, we, we wrote our mission, vision values, right? Right. And so we wrote down our values and they are still extremely true for us today. Um, and those still guide the way we operate from a, what, what is true will always be true for Crema. Yeah. Then we had this event that happened. Um, so we have a YouTube channel and a, and a podcast and a couple of different ways that we put a ton of content out in the world to kind of tell people who we are, how we think, what their point of view on things is, what our culture looks like. It's a great recruiting tool and it's a great sales tool. And um, we had a, a large sports brand reach out to us, which um, most of what we do is B2B enterprise software. We don't tend to work with um, kind of consumer facing brands Uh we have, but that's not our core business. And this big sports brand um, uh, consumer brand reached out and said, you know, Hey, we want to talk to you guys. I said, cool. You know, what's the product you want to build? What's the technology you're going to do? That's what we do. So no, 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 we've got, we've got developers, we've got designers. Actually, we want you to help us look like you because they'd watched all of our content. They literally watched all of our videos on YouTube. And they're like, you guys just have this culture, this way of working, this way of thinking that we just desperately need. And we were like, oh, that's consulting. That's awesome. Like, let's do that. And then the question, basically we turned around and looked at ourselves and said, well, what do we look like? What, what, how do we act? Yeah. And it was more about the the way that we moved through a space. And there's, there's kind of three pillars. The postures is one piece of it. There's three pillars that we thought about when we kind of thought about what's the framework that makes Crema who we are and that they're, they're, it's wrapped around or really what's, what would help any team to both co-create together, to collaborate really well together and to, um, to not get stuck, hmm. to actually keep moving forward, to you know, call it innovation, right? To keep moving the organization forward. We have this mantra. We say that if Crema looks the same two years from now as it does today, we're likely close to being obsolete or irrelevant. Wow. Because we have to adapt. The world is changing too fast. And if you're not adapting with it, then you're, you're going to become irrelevant. So we stepped back and we said, okay, well, what do we look like? And what is, what makes crema crema? And there was things that were um, tacitly happening. They're just kind of happening because they happen because that's who we are. So we started to write those things down and they came back to three pillars. One is postures as we'll talk about. And I'll kind of touch on that in a second. And another one is disciplines. What are your habits? What are things yeah. you do? What are your actions? Personally or professionally? Um, what are your team habits? This okay. is going to be mostly focused around and there, there's, there's individual team and organization. Um, so think of this as kind of a matrix. Uh-huh. And then the last piece is structures. What, what are constraints? What are, what's the environment that you're doing this work in? So if you think about your postures, this is our mindsets. This is the way we think. This is the way we approach 
how we enter a space. And so we said, what are the, what are the, the core postures that really seem to affect us being effective? And they came back to, again, that curiosity, humble confidence, humble confidence kind of in on the other side, in, in both sides of the spectrum. Uh-huh. And then, and then resilience, like the ability to go, it's not perfect right now, but we'll get there. And, um, and then structures, you know, really thinking about what are, excuse me, and then disciplines and habits. It's what are those things that we do on a regular basis? So are we exploring, meaning are we picking our heads up from the grind of like just the task we got to get done and asking ourselves what's out on the horizon, Mm. what's coming towards us. What's about to change. Mm. Are we ready for that change? Are we asking really good questions? So that explore is is a big uh, feature. How are we contributing? So explore, contribute. How are we at, what are we bringing to the table? And here's a really hard one is like, is what I'm bringing to the table today still valuable? Yeah. Maybe I need a question. Yeah, dude. I mean like existential crisis right there, right? Are, am I bringing something to the table that is, um, relevant, that is valued, that is needed is the skills that I had yesterday still relevant to the skills and people that have tenure, people that have been around the industry for a long time are like, my skills are relevant because I've done it longer than you. Like, nope. Yeah. Nope. The world changes too fast. How do you evaluate that? I know there's not a silver bullet, but what, what is a way that you would evaluate that if you're listening right now and you're thinking, man, that is honestly a question I need to be brave enough to ask. Um, I, you know, we, this is, uh, so go keep going around the discipline or the, yeah. the habit loop, uh, contra- contribution. The other side of that is feedback. Mm. So if you're not, if you don't have feedback loops, just everywhere inside your organization, inside your team, and even maybe inside yourself, then you're never going to learn how you can improve. Mm. So for us, that's things like we, we send out, uh, we use a, a tool called Lattice that sends out a weekly survey to our entire organization around how are we living out our values? Are we, are you, are we doing good? Could we do better? Yeah. Um, are we moving towards our goals? Do you know what the goal is? <laughs> you know, do you know what the purpose statement for Grima is, et cetera. And so it's just constantly serving that, um, feed, that feedback loop we do because we, you know, we're client services. So we have a member of the leadership team checks in with the client every month, whether they're on the project or not. Interesting. There's just a constant feedback loop through email, yeah. through like an actual conversation. conversation. Yeah. has to be a conversation. So how long, uh, 30 minutes. Okay. Yeah. It doesn't have to be long. Just what's going well. It's a retrospective, right? Retrospects are one of the, one of the most powerful meetings and tools that any organization or team can do. And a simple retrospective um, is, is basically just asking the questions, what's going well? So celebrate your wins. Yeah. You know, throw a party. Um, what's not going well? Ooh, let's, let's, let's spotlight that. Let's, let's just get it out in the open. Let's be transparent that this is not maybe how it ought to be. Yep. And then finally, um, what can get better? What are we going to change? What, yeah. what are we going to make a decision at this moment? Not to say like the wins are the only thing that matter or that the, the failures are just always going to be that way. How many times I've heard, well, it's just, it's just the way it is. Yeah. Why, why don't you change it? <laughs> yeah. You know? And so having a retrospective, those are intentional means. We do those every two weeks on our product teams. We do those once a month with our clients. Um, we do them every two weeks with our one-on-ones with everybody in the company. Um, so just constant feedback loops. God, I love that. Yeah, man. I have several friends, uh, who are somewhere in like special forces, different, different yeah, branches, yeah. special forces. And they turned me on to the idea of the OODA loop, yep. right? Same idea. The, the, the thing that really differentiated 
whenever that was, whenever there was aerial combat happening a lot in the Air Force, especially with the Russian MiGs, mm-hmm. they realized that their technology was superior, that we weren't going to beat them in speed and power, but we could beat them in decisions made in the air. That's right. And so they developed the OODA loop, observe, orient, decide, act, repeat, over yep. and over again. Observe, yep. orient yourself to it, make a decision, act, then observe again, orient, decide, act, and the faster they could create those loops, the quicker they could get a success. That's exactly and right. I said, how often is that really a practice? He said, every day. Yeah. He's like, every day, every mission we're doing, everything we're doing, we are, we're trying to shorten the feedback loop as fast as possible so that we can keep making micro adjustments instead of getting caught with our pants down, having to make a macro adjustment. That's you know? right. That's right. And that, 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 Which that again, so most organizations, the leaders, because they're the model neck, the amount of time that it has to get back out to the organization, back out to the client, back to the organization, back to them, they have a massive loop. Yes. Because they're the bottleneck. Yes. And if you're removing bottlenecks and silos, which is what we're always talking about, remove a bottleneck, remove a silo, then no one should be isolated where they're making decisions in a vacuum. Instead, they're making decisions based off of the context that's around them and they're able to do it fast. Interesting. And um, yeah, man, you- when you, that, that's, that's, that's what drives us to truly be innovative, truly yeah. be creative uh, and be able to grow. Talk to that for a second. Are there any examples that come to mind around, you obviously mentioned move, removing the two of you as bottlenecks, but you said removing bottlenecks and silos. Are there any mm. other examples of where you guys spotted that and put that into practice? Yeah, so we have um, we do, very quickly, we bring clients into um, either us feeling like we're a part of their team or them feeling like they're a part of our team. And one of the ways that we do that is um, for a long time, we just felt like there was these like barriers to like, we're working a certain way and you're working a certain way. And yet we're supposed to work together in this thing called a vendor relationship. And right. like, it's supposed to be a partnership, but then nobody really values that. And so what we, what we immediately said is um, as we bring onboard clients, we immediately go to how do we bring you into some of the tools, some of the ways of working that works really, really well for us? And then how do we learn how you work and, and how do we kind of cross those paths so that we're not two islands that happen to be like shipping things back and forth to each other, mm. that there's not some wall that I'm throwing a thing over the wall and hoping that you like it. And that maybe yeah, like battleship. For- yeah, totally, <laughs> totally battleship. B12. And we're missing miss. it every time. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, and so instead, how do we build these pipes between each other? How do we build these bridges between each other where we're just like, yeah, let's, let's meet on the bridge. Let's, let's talk. And so we do that through like bringing our clients straight into a Slack channel with us. So they're mm. in our Slack channels. They're, they're commuting. We, we immediately shut off email because email is like the worst way to communicate. It basically is a wall that we're just throwing things over. Um, we're bringing them into our project management school, um, um, uh, systems. We're allowing them to be on our daily standups. So we do just, uh, most of our teams do nine o'clock, 10 o'clock standups. They're in all of our two week retrospectives and sprint planning meetings. So they're like the com- client has full access. And we've had, we had a client maybe a year and a half ago that th- they were, we noticed that the team wasn't collaborating well with the client and the client felt it you know, like their boss, their boss's bosses felt it. We felt it. And, and there was enough respect and trust between us that the leadership teams kind of came together and said, why is this not working? And they happened to be in town. They're actually based in LA and they, they were in town doing a workshop and the client literally canceled our flights and said, no, you know what? This relationship's too important. We're, we've got these islands that are, that are happening. We've got these, these, this, this silos that are starting to happen. This person's making decisions because out of fear and control. Yeah. 
and that was on their team. And then we're responding out of fear control because of this, this way of working. And so, so we got every, and it wasn't just like the leaders came into the room. It was the entire team came into the room and said, get it out in the open. It's like this, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. What are we going to do to change? Like the massive retrospective right there. What's going well? You guys are killing it. We're, get, we're, we're producing incredible features. The clients love it. The, you know, the product's coming along. It's looking great. But we have to address that this moment in time is not as good as it could be. Mm. And, and instead of waiting for that to just boil up until it like overflows and people are pissed and quitting and leaving or whatever, it's, nope, I'm going to cancel my flight. I'm going to stay here right now. We're going to address it. That's Come a on. rapid loop. Come on. And most organizations are not willing to be bold enough to step into that hard conversation right now. Yeah. Yeah, man. It reminds me of um, who Fierce Conversations. I don't I think know that it, one. Yeah, there's a book called Fierce Conversations. If I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm accurately titling that. And if I remember correctly, she was an executive that was also leading kind of like executive think tanks and okay, okay. Uh, coaching. And over like a decade of doing that, she said again and again, the biggest breakthrough always happened when they identified what the elephant was in the room yeah. and confronted it. Yep. And that was the thing that was in, impeding growth, right? Always. So she started developing this idea of embracing fierce conversations. Like, That's so good. How do it's you similar have a, to radical candor? Yeah, radical candor, and maybe yeah. I could be. It might be the same person. No, but it's fine. I, yeah, I think yeah. it's a different. I think it's a different book. Same idea, though. I love that idea. And I found the same thing. You usually have an intuition. You mm -hmm. Usually have a feeling, and oh, that feeling feel is un, that feeling is uncomfortable. Yeah. And we usually just tend to hope it gets better, and it almost never does. Versus, say, like, can we talk about what we think the feeling is? Are we? Yeah. Do we know what the elephant is? Can we address the elephant? Yep. And let's move by. Because right now, like you talked about, both parties were in self-preservation. Of course. And self-preservation usually makes things worse. <laughs> Almost always. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, I, I like to talk about like depression. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't want to mm -hmm. oversimplify it. But if you just use that as an example, when someone's in a depressed state, mm -hmm. their instincts start to lie to them. Mm -hmm. So the self-preservation that kicks in says, I need to sleep more. I need to isolate myself. I need to avoid tasks and I need to like stay inside. Yeah. And it becomes a cycle inward. And it makes everything worse yep. versus the counterintuitive or the counter instinctual thing would be to ask for help, get outside, you know, like work your body out and, you know, be a part of a community, all the things that your self-preservation is saying, we can't do this. We can't do this. Right. Yeah. And it seems to be the same in business where it's like, hide, hope it gets better, avoid the confrontation. And it's like, no, those instincts are like making things worse, right? We got to override that instinct. It's, it is why one of my leading ideas right now is, is seek discomfort. Mm. Like lean into that thing where you're like, I really don't want to address that. Yeah. Okay. Then you better lean into it right now. If you feel that, that's the thing you probably should be doing. Yeah. And, and we don't, you know, let's go back to that muscle analogy. Like you don't get stronger by thinking about working out. Yep. Right. You get stronger by moving a muscle that has never moved that way before. It's tearing, it hurts, it's uncomfortable. I just did a workout two days. It's always two days later, right? Especially as I get older, for sure. The second yeah. day is like, yeah. <laughs> man, it did not used to hurt like that. You know, two days later, you're like, I'm, I am sore and I don't want to do it again, which is exactly when you should do it again. Yep. Right. And it helps. And it helps you be less sore, which is weird. That's right. 
That's working right, out when your you're body sore. adapts, right? yes. you're, you become resilient. Um, I, I got into cycling a couple of years ago and uh, it's this idea of like, I hated hills. You know, you only went up hills so that you go, go, go down the hill. Sure. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and then it got to the point where I was like, I need to like focus on trying to hit the hills Yeah. and, and learning technique and learning how my body works and pushing those muscles to be able to push up those hills harder, maybe be, beat my last time, push myself, seek that discomfort. No, nah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I still hate the hills sometimes, but they're a lot more like, there's a lot more joy of going, man, I got this hill. I'm, I'm yeah. going to hit that one hard. And, and like the, the confidence grows in what you can accomplish. Have you ever read, um, uh, the war of art by Steven Pressfield? No, I haven't, but it's been referenced to me like a dozen times. You, you probably don't need it as a seven. I needed it. <laughs> like a, I needed it as a nine. Fair, it was, it, it became a, almost like a Bible for me for a few years. Yeah. Interesting. One of the things about a nine is that we can get incredibly stagnant mm-hmm. and we can get incredibly avoidant of discomfort. And one of the, one of the ways they describe it is that they lack the animating fire to rise up and achieve their dreams. Right. Animating fire. That's such a great. Yeah. Analogy. Yeah. And I noticed my, I was barely down to a pilot light, you yeah. know, like the yeah. fire yeah. was hard to find and I was avoiding things and life was getting more and more uncomfortable because of it. Somebody gave me that book. Mm. and the entire thing was like a loving kick in the nuts and but it wasn't like a rah-rah it wasn't yeah, i have no no, no i have no problem with uh david goggins i love david goggins mm-hmm. but I, yeah. he's not the voice i need in my head the yeah. voice i needed in my head was this guy stephen pressfield who had struggled for half of his life not being able to activate his potential yep and he just framed it as resistance is the enemy with a capital r Mm-hmm. That there is a resistance that anyone, everyone's going to face anytime they want to do anything good in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. And that your ability to recognize that's the real thing is going to be the difference whether you do or you don't, right? And so he said, where where you are most afraid is where you must go. Mm-hmm. And I it reframed my map. My map had said where I'm most uncomfortable is what I must avoid. That's right. And he and he he reframed it where I was like, oh, that's actually the destination. Like, uh-huh. and then there's another guy, Ryan Holiday, that I really like, who mm-hmm. has a book called The Obstacle Is the Way. Mm-hmm. And again, it's a mental reframe that's saying like, what if the thing I've been trying to avoid is the very thing I have to confront? And so on the it. other side is the gold that I really want to inherit. Does that make yep. sense? A hundred percent. And I think. It's, it's not new. Like exactly. This, this, we've been, I mean, like this is an ancient way of thinking. Yes. The challenge is, is I think in a modern way of thinking, comfort becomes the ultimate goal. Yes. And um, I think growth is one of the things that we should be moving towards. Yes. How are we, how are we growing? How are we improving? How are we, and we can, we can literally be growing and improving until we die. Yeah. Um, and um, don't get me wrong. Now I want to be uh, one of the thing. One of the other pieces of the habit loop, um, or the the disciplines loop for us is rest. Yep. And I think that in, if you're not able to give your t- yourself that time to rest, you're not going to be able to go back and hit that hill. Yep. You're not going to be able to do that next workout the way you you know at the energy level you need. You're not going to be able to challenge yourself to say like that obstacle, that big business problem I had. I didn't give yep. my mind a, a chance to recover so that I can go hit it again tomorrow. Instead, yes. we're like, nah, hundred hours a week. That feels about right. Yes. Yeah, man. The most the single most requested training that I've been doing nonstop since COVID mm-hmm. is energy management. Yeah. Right. 
that is by far people are saying everyone's burned out. Yeah. What what do we do? And one of the simplest ways I think about it comes from a book called Peak, where is a guy who was just mm. uh, an endurance coach yep. and was trying to pay attention to the actual data, like yeah. what makes the world's best long distance runners, this, that, and the other. And he just had a very simple formula, which is stress plus recovery equals growth. Stress and I was like, oh, I like that. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Like yeah. if you talk about muscle growth, you stress it, you give it adequate recovery and you get growth. Right. And he said, if you miscalibrate either of those things, you're not going to get growth. Right. And so I look at stress and say, okay, if you're overly avoidant, mm-hmm. you're not giving the proper uh, time under tension that your mental muscle needs or your, your skill set needs or your actual muscles need. So you're atrophying because you're not working it out. Mm-hmm. If you overstress it, you get injury, right? You lifted too yeah. much weight too fast. You, there's a thing called diminishing returns where you overtrain. Yep. And, and it's like, okay, well, you're overdoing the stress part. But then there's also recovery, which is no one gives any weight to. It's seen as like a weakness or like an indulgence. To, I know. And it's like, okay. It's such done, a powerful tool. Like sleep. Yeah. Sleep is responsible for yeah. muscle growth. It's also re- responsible for metabolism, things like that. And you're like, all right, well, just let's just have them together. Mm-hmm. Like, let's just have the adequate stress. What are the challenges I need to face? And then what is the recovery I need to get the energy back or to cause that to be a building moment for me versus a, right. a tearing down moment? Does that make sense? Oh, 100%, man. I mean, you're, you're talking about this cycle, which is what all of these, these you know, re- whether I'm talking about the retrospective or I'm talking about the way that we hire or whatever, it, it all has to be in this, this balance of, uh, I think Dan says it in intense engagement, intense release. Yes. It's like how we're not going to be mediocre. Like we're going to be intense. We're going to push it. We're going to, I mean, and there's been seasons, like even right now, there's been, we've gone through a season of growth. And so there's some change. And so I think people are kind of wanting to go like, let me breathe back. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Breathe back, but don't stay back here. Yes. We got to come back into it now. Yes. Because like in order to sustain that growth and even push into the, what the next growth is going to be, there's going to be another season of intensity coming. Well, the way we do it typically is we're like, I'm going to work insanely hard for Mm. three months, six months, nine months, a year. And I'm going to give myself this really great week vacation. (laughs) Right. And you're like, Uh, maybe that's not sustainable. (laughs) Does that actually work though? That's always my question. Like when you came back from that week vacation, did it undo the nine months of, of basically not having rest and recalibration? And the answer is no. Yeah. And so it's like, well, what if we just kind of like, there was day and there was night, there was day and there was night. There was this rhythm built into days, Mm -hmm. right? where you're on, you're off, you're on, you're off. And what if we had micro adjustments where you knew how to work really hard, like sprint and then walk and recover. And you did that ongoing and you never needed these massive extended breaks where you lose usually all the momentum that you worked so hard to get. Right. So, so Dan and I used to do this thing. This is early on, right? We were building a new muscle of what it meant to be business partners and what it meant to do this hard thing of growing a company. Yeah. And, um, we, we would joke that it was about every nine months we would, we didn't, we don't, we're not fighters. Like we don't really fight with each other too much, but every nine months it'd be like, I hate you. (laughs) And it was like, we'd, you know, we'd kind of the stereotypical guy thing. We'd punch each other up, not figuratively speaking, like, you know, punch each other with emotions and then we'd hug it out. We'd be fine. I said, this isn't, this isn't sustainable. Like we can't work that. We can't let it build up to that. Yeah. Uh, Cause you know, our team would hear it and they were like, Oh, mom and dad are fighting. Like what's going on. Right. 
and uh, we never could figure out who was mom or dad, but that's not the point. Um, the, the, um, the, but what we ended up doing instead was saying, you know what? We need to, we need to shorten those loops again, back down yeah. to that same idea. So every Friday we would get together and no, without miss, we would, we'd have a cup of coffee at the local coffee shop, sit down for an hour or two and say, how did I piss you off this week? How'd you piss me off this week? Let's just address it. Let's get it out. Mm. And then it got to the point where we kind of, we didn't have to ask that question anymore because yeah. we knew how to work together. Yeah. And then it was, then the coffees became what's, what's challenging us in our company. Yeah. Where are we going? Are we doing the thing we should be doing? Should we say no to that? You know, like these really intentional moments of having the space and the time and the discipline going back to it. Yeah. Uh, those micro loops. Now for us, it was weekly. It could be daily. I mean, it, it, it has to be short though. You can't talk that like the whole quarterly planning or yearly planning cycle is a myth. Yeah. 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 And you need, and that's fine. You can set those big goals, those hairy yeah. audacious goals, but then you need to bring it back into those small cycles when the work actually gets done. This is so timely. This whole conversation. I mean, I was just telling my co-founder that I was like, dude, we had a conversation yesterday after work hours, after everything was done. And we finally had 45 minutes to talk and we yep. felt like we barely scratched the surface of a thousand things we could have caught up on yeah. whether personally or professionally or yeah, both. whatever. And I just walked away thinking like, have we learned our lesson yet? We just need to schedule this. Like you got we to. Need to schedule a weekly connection because we're both so busy in the business. And that's why I resonated earlier. We are bottlenecks to the business right now yep. trying to figure out how not to be. But that's one of the things that is getting overlooked is that space right. where anything can be talked about, whether it's me and you stuff or the business yeah. stuff. And we or talked the, about our families or yeah. you know, whatever. I mean, there's, it's, it's, it's all integrated. We want to say it's not, it is. Yep. especially as founders, co-founders or our oh, business yeah. partners. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I think it's massively important. And, and again, it's the reason we took that discipline of the weekly rhythm and we yeah. started applying it to our teams. All right. Teams, mm. are you meeting now? We, they have two weeks, uh, two week sprints, two week so sprints. Yeah. Two week sprints. Yeah. Yep. Right. And, um, and that becoming a, a rhythm for the, for the teams and for the client check-ins and et cetera. Just how do you build those feedback loops? Yeah. Interesting. So are you on the two week sprints? Are you guys doing something like the scrum kind of model? Yeah. I mean, effectively so many of the things we're beg borrowing and stealing from are lean, agile design thinking. Um, and you know, every company makes a hybrid of what works for them. We're pretty, we're pretty good on the agile front. That's a selling point for us. A lot of organizations are saying, I need an agile software development team. We're like, yep, got it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and not only do we have devs, which everybody goes, I need devs. Um, we're like, yeah, yeah, cool. Everybody needs a course. Yeah. Instead, what we're saying and what we really bring to the table is we're saying we're actually going to bring what we call a, a cross-functional product team, which mm. is both devs, designers, and a product manager. Uh, and test engineers are, are often in, involved in that as well. All, all of those cross-functional roles that are diverse and unique and have uh, bringing all those skills into the table to contribute, we're going to come because we have a process and approach, which is agile, which is lean that um, we've kind of perfected. It's not, it's not perfect, perfect, but we we really keep working on that. So you get the value of a team that's already like proven how to, to do it rather than just saying, hey, I need a dev that can write code and we'll figure out how to manage them later. Yeah, yeah, so good. Uh, I just looked at the clock and realized it's already up to the time I told you <laughs> that we would be cutting off. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how good this conversation has been, man. Truly, this is I love it. Um, really valuable. And so thank you, one, for being here. Two, let's hop into our lightning round questions. Let's do it. Let's do it. I want to make sure we get that before we, we hop off here. So question number one, if you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would that message be? 
Yeah. I mean, it comes back to that seek discomfort, right? Step into mm. it. Um, mm. Step into it with, with humble confidence, confidence that you can take on any challenge and humility to, to realize you got a lot to learn. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a problem. We can figure it out. Right. Yeah. I love it. All right. Question yeah. number two. I mean, I'm lightning. What is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And also what was the worst? Single best for sure was the replace yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know that I was a bottleneck. A mentor of mine told, uh, pointed that out. Um, um, that was probably number one. Uh, number two, I had, I had someone, um, uh, so someone who basically said, get comfortable with your people being, being numbers. <laughs> and I said, no, no, I won't go that way. Um, we, we, we contemplated what that looks like as we grow and how, how do we make sure that never happens? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. All right. Question number three, what causes you currently the most stress or worry leading your organization? Um, are we being clear? Um, you know, we, I've got, like I said, I'm external processor. I got a lot of ideas bouncing around up in there. Um, a lot of words come out, a lot of, you know, frameworks and ways to approach things. And, you know, you spend enough time with it and you soak in it enough. You're like, yeah, this is, I get it. This feels good. But can, can, are we, are we overthinking? Uh, For sure. I'm overthinking things. And so how can I simplify? How can I be more clear? How can I have a bias for action? Um, and I, I think sometimes I'm, you know, we're spinning on trying to be really thoughtful, which is good. That's intentionality, but not just staying in that strategic space, but actually moving into the action space. Yeah. Yeah. Totally makes sense. All right. Question number four, you may use this framework of thinking you may not, but you'll get the general idea. Yep. What is your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal right now for the company? Yeah. So Dan and I came back from a trip to London right before COVID hit. And um, we were working with consultants out of Liverpool and we had the opportunity to go meet with a bunch of other agency owners there in London. And the question actually, we've been courted to whether or not we wanted to sell Crema. And, um, and we weren't sure. I mean, we really hadn't, I mean, we've been asked, we've been pitched several times to buy for Crema to be sold. And, but this one was like, sound like a really legitimate offer and could be kind of cool. And, and then we went and met with all these people and kind of saw different organizations at different life cycles, a brand new agency up to someone who had just recently sold. And, um, we, we kind of looked at each other and said, we love this. We love what we're doing. Yeah. Why would we, why would we hand this off to somebody else right now? And so our big goal right now is we're in a growth stage. Um, we believe that we can be one of the top digital product agencies in the country, if not the world. Um, and that's going to come both through, uh, design and creative thinking through being brilliant technologists and through culture. Hmm. And so I think that it's, it's really trying to figure out how to package those three things, how to do that so well that people can't, can't look away. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. All right. Number five, this is our fun, creative question. It's almost like a Rorschach test. All right. I'll see how you, how you relate to it. So if you could hop into a DeLorean, go back to the hmm. past and you get to tell yourself just one thing out the driver's side window of that DeLorean as you drive by, when would you go back? And what would you tell that younger version of yourself? It's so funny. As an Enneagram 7, this is like the worst question because we're only ever looking forward to the opportunity in front of us. That's right. And so I very rarely look back. And I, um, I've been asked questions like this before, and I struggle to answer this because everything that's happened to me has shaped who we are today. Uh-huh. 
Um, but I, you know, I, it'd have to be something along the lines of like, um, and this is, this sounds so goofy, but like just smile more. Hmm. Right. Like, why does that come to mind? I think there's seasons where we felt like, you know, you couldn't smile or you couldn't joke or you couldn't have fun. And then, then we would, you know, Dan would come up to me and, and kind of poke at me or we would, we would just crack a joke or something. And it was amazing the, the, the weight that that would lift. Yeah. And that's where this, the work that we're doing is serious, right? We do believe that what we can do, what we're building, the solutions that we're building, the companies that we're working, we can change the world, right? I mean, like people say that, but I actually do believe it. And yet there's times when you have to go like, grab a drink, have a laugh and realize that uh, we can't predict the future and you got to be flexible. So, so just smile and people around you, yeah. are gonna, they're going to start smiling because you're smiling. Let's go. Yeah. The way that, the way that I've been thinking about it this last year for, it's like a prompt for me and, and for my co-founder, I call it hands up on the roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's this idea that yeah, like life, refu- life refuses to stop being like a roller coaster. And what I noticed is that on any given roller coasters, people are having one of two experiences, same ride, same destination, same safety, yeah. but some are white knuckling the bar in terror yeah. and some have their hands up in joy. I love that. I'm going to steal that analogy. That's great. And I, I have to that. do it to myself because I can tend to be anxious. I can tend to be uh, preoccupied and whatever. And my prompt to myself is hands up on the roller coaster. I love like, it. That's so good. Let's bring some joy into this. This could be fun, right? <laughs> I'm making it not, but this could be fun. Yeah. And literally by lifting your hands, you're kind of recognizing I'm not in control. Exactly. So for me, even as a person of faith, like that is a prompt to me. Like, hey, man, you could worry, you could pray. You could try it. to control or you could release. Like, let's have this posture. So, ah, so good. hey. This is so fun, George. It is, it is not a mystery now to see why your company has been so successful, why it's continuing to grow. Uh, with you and Dan at the helm, this is, uh, this is a really smart and valuable company that you guys are building. So, man, thank you for taking time to be on the podcast, share your heart, share your story, and share your wisdom. It's been really valuable to me. Yeah, I loved it, Drew. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.